0: Blog Talk Radio. Everybody. This is Jeff, your host, and you are listening to Corrales Radio. Um, for those of you who uh, have not uh, listened to any prior episodes, um, first of all, shame on you. It's been around since 2013, but uh, my name is Jeff Godbold. I am the founder and the host of Corrales Radio, and uh, we've got a fun show for you guys tonight. Uh, as you all uh, may know, may not know, uh, Corrales Radio is brought to you by... Cold-Blooded Cafe, one of the leaders in the U.S. for healthy feeder rodents. So if you need to uh, look for some new uh, a new supplier for your feeder rodents, make sure you reach out to Levi. Uh, you can find them on Facebook, Cold-Blooded Cafe. Let him know I sent you. And Crowell's Radio is also brought to you by Reptile Basics Incorporated, your one-stop shop for anything uh, husbandry-related for your collection or if you're looking for a a new uh, cage and and rack um, manufacturer. Uh, Rich will get you all taken care of. Look up uh, Reptile Basics on the Internet or on Facebook, and let them know that I sent you, and they'll get you all squared away. So I just want to let you guys know, um, Crowls Radio uh, does have a Patreon account, so if you guys want to get some exclusive content um, and support the show, um, the best way to do that is to head on over to patreon.com forward slash Corralis radio and uh, start your pledges at a dollar and you can go up from there if you'd like. But uh, we've got a video that we're going to be putting over there on Patreon here this week, uh, or actually it should be, actually it'll be next week, but um, that's the best way to support the channel. And we really appreciate everybody's support so far. Jack uh, one of our patreon supporters has ant- asked a question uh, what's the best substrate for uh, um, Krause so that's a that's a very vague uh, question uh, first of all thanks for supporting us on patreon Jack um, uh, everybody that has gone over there and pleasure support uh, that's the reason this show is operating today but To really hit on your question, um, it's kind of preference. Uh, There's a lot of folks that um, use uh, newspaper as substrate, and you know, I'm of the mindset that there's a number of different ways to skin the cat, so to speak. So uh, there's a lot of folks that do really well with newspaper substrates. There are some folks that uh, have completely bioactive setups, and so. The substrates for them are a mixture of, you know, potting soil and charcoal and um, moss and and all those things that go into that. And they've also got isopods and springtails that live in there as decomposers. So uh, that's one way. And then there's some folks, um, and I even I may I'm thinking Harlan may even fit into this uh, camp. But some folks don't use any substrate at all, and it, it really is your own preference. Um, on the one hand, every time your animal uses the bathroom, um, you're going to go in and have to clean it if you're not using any substrate. If you're using a substrate uh, like newspaper, you're going to have to go in there and change the newspaper or the paper towel out or, you know, the, the thick uh, brown canvas paper, whatever your preference is, you're going to have to go in there and change that out every time the animal uses the bathroom. Um, if you're using um, uh, a bioactive substrate, um it, you may have to clean up parts of it like the big parts um but like you know if there's just a little bit of urate or something like that you don't really need to clean that up uh, me personally um what i use is i use cocoa bark um, i'm in northern california so humidity is really hard for me to maintain in my collection so i use cocoa bark because it's easy for me to spot clean but it helps me maintain humidity and that's really 50% of the reason that I use it I like the way it looks it does cover up the smell a little bit whenever the animals um, do use the uh, use the bathroom and it's um, you know it helps me maintain humidity because I don't really miss my animals I just pour you know I'll pour water or I'll mist like the, uh, the cocoa uh, bark now I'm not talking about the really fine Uh, bricks that, you know, you put water on and they expand and it's becomes pretty fine. I'm not, I'm actually talking about the actual chips, the cocoa chips. That's what I use. That's what I like. Uh, Hopefully that answers your question, Jack. If you have any other questions, hit me up uh, via Facebook and shoot me a PM and I can talk about it further with you. But um, got a great show for everybody tonight. Uh, We've got Harlan Wall coming on and we're going to be talking about uh, quarantine and establishing imports. Um, anyone who uh, is into Corralis, you know, it's no secret that there's always imports coming in, uh, mostly, um, you know, your Hortolanus and your Caninus. Um, you don't see bait eye coming in be- just because we can't get them in from the countries that they come from. Um, so most of the ones that come in come over through Europe and they're captive born and bred. But uh, if you're talking about eye, you know, they come in as imports, so there's a lot of Corralis imports coming into the U.S. and probably uh, some of the other countries as well. And um, there really, there really is a right way to bring these types of animals into your collections, and that's really what we want to talk about with Harlan because he has a lot of experience with it. He's been around for a long time, and he's been around dealing with imports for a long time. So we've got him holding. Let's go ahead and bring him on real quick. Harlan, hello how's there. Going?
1: Hey man, good. I'm doing How good. Are you? How are you doing? Good, good.
0: Doing so, great. So what's
1: swinging, man? What's what's shaking tonight?
0: <laughs> Not a whole lot. We're just figured, um, hoping we can get some good information out of you and some good experiences and and some maybe some pitfalls that you ran into in the past that you've learned from. And sure, that, it's a pretty easy going night for me.
1: Awesome, awesome. Yeah, man. So, uh, so yeah. Uh, I, I caught the tail end of uh, you talking about the, the different substrates and you know everybody's got their the recipe or whatever it is that that works for them and uh um so yeah you know I I'm a I like uh, I like these pads I use these they're sort of like you've seen people talk about the the puppy wee pads um that's the same material as uh you know these uh, adult. If you if you stroll down the adult incontinence aisle, um, at, you know at your whatever your Walmart or whatever, you'll see these mattress protectors, right. and um, and it's the same material. It's basically you know what you'd find inside of a diaper or or inside of a a, a maxi pad or whatever. It's that same material right. and it's very absorbent. Um, so you know I like that material. But you know, it's something that you know. It's, it's there's a cost factor to it when you have a large collection. You have to consider those kind of things. But I like that because um, because it's very it, it absorbs a lot of moisture, and uh, so then rather than spraying uh, when you're when you're uh, changing water bowls and you put your your clean fresh water bowl into a clean cage, uh, you can accidentally on purpose if you have a snake that's in a shed cycle. You can accidentally on purpose kind of overflow that water bowl and it's just going to soak into that pad and that material does not mold readily but it's going to increase the amount of surface area for evaporation and 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 it's going to kick your humidity up and uh so that works really well but i use something similar to that but it's not exactly the same um oh and a, a little a little fyi if you're getting uh those mattress protectors a, a stealthy awesome way to go about getting it for on the fly for super cheap is uh keep your eyes peeled for estate sales because uh you know how it works um, one gets shipped off to a, a a plot in the cemetery and the other one gets shipped off to a Uh, The old folks' home, and then they they got it. You know, all the rest of the family has to do this at a state sale. And I've walked into some of these, and they have like a closet full of these things, and they're like fifty cents, takes it all. You know, that kind of a deal. And so you can get them really cheap for those for those mattress protectors. And that's a a really, you know, they're going to sell it anyway. Uh, So just keep your eyes on on estate sales. You can pick them up cheap that way. But I I like my favorite price is three dollars and fifty three cents. Um, so I use (laughs) apple pads. Yeah. I like, I I love apple pads because they're absolutely, absolutely free. And, um, and they're, everyone has them near them. They just don't realize it yet. So apple pads or fruit packing pads, they're, if you go to the grocery store and you're, you know, cruising the, the produce section, I'll, I'll post pictures of apple pads on my Facebook page, uh, probably like later tonight or tomorrow. And, um, so, and you'll see pictures of them, so you know what I'm talking about. But, but uh, if you ever go are at the uh, uh, grocery store and you go go to the produce section, um, if the guys that are like putting apples out or peaches or whatever kind of fruit, well, there's a there's like a, a cardboard uh, piece that's molded with little dimples in it, and each piece of fruit fits in one of those dimples. And then over the top of the fruit is where they put the apple pad, and it's basically, do you remember this this stuff? Certain, certainly you probably do, Jeff. It's it's uh, carefresh bedding, it's recycled newspaper mulch and it came in a big old bag and it's grey and dusty as can be. Well they take I do, that same I, stuff. I do remember that. Yeah. They take that same stuff and they, they, they have a, a a long conveyor belt with paper on it and then they with it just a flat sheet of paper on it and then they uh put this, uh, it's basically the Carefresh, it's recycled newspaper mulch on top of it, and then they slap another piece of paper over top of that, and and it's sealed around the edges, and now you don't have the dust issue to deal with. You have this pad, and that's what they cover the fruit with. It just keeps an apple from bouncing up and and bruising itself on the the crate above it, you know, when the truck's moving down the road. So everybody's got them there. They're going to take them out, put them in the baler, the compactor, and uh, and they're going to get chucked. So... For a while, I had actually thought about making a business out of this and, like, um, having my business name, you know, put on – printed on the one side of it, you know, wall-to-wall reptiles, uh, you know, reptile cage liner pads or whatever, something like that. But I got to thinking about it. I'm like, you know, this is a product that if I did that, it just means that the pieces of paper on either side – it costs us more trees. If I'm ordering that, look, it's already a recycled product. Why not three cycle it and just go down to your local grocery store? It's food grade. It's it's your food is packed in it, and as long as it's clean, I mean, you know, if there was a funky apple or something, don't check that pad. But but just go down there. I give them a box and I say at my local Walmart, and I got a pretty good sized snake collection. And I just say, "Hey, man, hold on to these, and every time i 'm in here i 'll pick them up from you. They just give me a big stack, and it 's cyclical where sometimes of the year you know they don 't they 're not having as many uh, available for me but but uh, every time I go in there, I, I take them whether I need them or not, and I can just kind of stockpile them in the back room and then, and then use them and uh, I really like them; they do mold because they 're paper, but they 're very absorbent. Uh, They come in like a couple sizes, but, but, you know, the sizes that I I use uh, fit my cages very well. You can fold it over if it's it's too big, but it works very well. It's really absorbent, and again, you know, um, I can just roll it up, chuck it out when a snake defecates on it or urinates on it. It it absorbs that that, uh, material, and then then I can chuck it, And, and like I said, I can overfill my water bowl on it. It's a very, very clean product. And it's free. I mean, you're you're, you're taking it and, and giving it a third life. Um, I've even put them after after they were used. I put them out uh, early in the spring in the garden, the, the used pads, and uh, and then mm-hmm. I sprayed them down with water, and then tilled them in. And man, it, it makes killer soil. You just want to leave them out in the sun for a, for a day or two after you spray them. So you know, the sun sun is right. great for uh, killing bacteria and stuff. But you're just you're just killing it all into the soil anyway but it kind of gives it it's pretty earth friendly i guess and uh that's what i like about it. but i also like i can take um i use uh rid aerosol spray um for like whatever i think it's for bed bugs and and whatever lice or something weird um but i just use it for for snakes every time i'm at at wally world and i buy a can of it they kind of look at me funny but i'm bald so i'm Uh like where do you think i'm spraying it hmm i just kidding. But, uh, but yeah, I, I, you can take that, and I just spray, like, five stripes on one side of the pad, five stripes on the other side of the pad, and let it dry completely, and then place it in the cage. And, man, it's, it's killer. It's, it's really a great way to, to line a cage. And um, I'm not a big fan of the, the bioactive stuff that's just not my, uh, you know, I feel like you're, you're introducing things that, that aren't native to the snake, uh, if, especially if you're talking about a snake from another side of the world, um, and so, you know, all of those little organisms that are living in that cage, they have organisms living in them and on them, and who knows what you're what you're introducing? I always say it's like uh, it's like uh, we gave these smallpox-infected blankets to the to the Native Americans um, and wiped out whole tribes. Well, you know, uh, an Amazon tree boa probably. Or an emerald, they probably have uh, resistance to certain things, but they probably aren't uh, resistant to all that we we're introducing them to if we have a bioactive setup. So I kind of try to keep things fairly sterile in in uh, in my my setups. That's the way I do it. But uh, but yeah, I like I like those Got paths, it. man. Anyway, yeah, I yeah. I used those
0: for a for a long time when I kept chondros. Um, I always felt weird when I'd go in and buy them all. <laughs> it like people kind of oh, yeah. look at me yep. like, you're a little young oh, to be the... buying those.
1: Yeah. Well, oh, I was, oh the, like, the mattress protectors or whatever? Yeah, that's really funny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I yeah I was those, like, those paper yeah, pads, I don't feel nice. funny, you know, <laughs> picking them up. And they're like, "Wow, you got a little incontinence problem there? Yeah, that would, that would feel funny. But those Apple pads, you know, they're free. They're just going to chuck them out, and right. I, that's what I use mostly is the uh, – is the apple pads and like you it's a very dry climate here we're we're generally uh lucky if it's 23 percent humidity and uh so very dry so i just regulate the humidity by the amount of ventilation that i have uh in the in the cage you know and um so if you've got an open water bowl in there and you're restricting the ventilation obviously your humidity is going to go up so just kind of make a, a happy balance between the humidity and the and you know how much is evaporating there so, but by, by right. the ventilation, but yeah. So, cool. Well, let's yeah. um,
0: let's let's get on into uh, talking about some of these um, some of these imports that are coming in. Like maybe you could start out with telling us how you kind of got your feet wet and what yeah. the conditions that you started seeing as you got more into it of these animals. Sure. What their condition was like.
1: Yeah. So. You know, um, I started out, uh, dealing with a lot of other, uh, excuse me one second. <clears throat> I, 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 start, I started out dealing with a lot of other, uh, importers and dealers and, um, you know, like everybody else, uh, just buying what came in and most of the time those animals were, you know, I knew that they hadn't been in the country for long and, uh, and I, I noticed pretty quickly that the longer they sat around at any, any wholesaler's place, uh, usually the tougher they were to acclimate. So I wanted them fairly fresh. Um, and, of course, any wholesaler loves that, too. They want you to buy the stuff fresh because they want it out the door, right? But, um, uh, so so that's, that's great. But, uh, you know, when it comes to, to importing them yourself, uh that's that's a whole different can of worms and uh I, you know people complain that they oh so and so ripped me off or I got burned by this this one or that well you got to be really careful if you're sending money overseas cuz uh, good luck getting your money back if you feel like you were um shortchanged so so anyway um you know when I when I'm looking for a source I want to make sure that I'm using someone who's not also using uh selling birds i don't really want to be buying uh from an exporter or uh, an importer who sells birds as well as reptiles because birds are notorious for being able to pass rep uh, parasites or or pathogens i should say onto uh, onto reptiles and and so uh, you'll notice uh, a lot of these these guys that um, when when you get animals from someone who exports a lot of birds and they also export reptiles you'll start having you'll run into more issues and you run into a lot less issues when you're when you're dealing with someone who strictly does reptiles so i i first try to find someone who really is only concentrating on reptiles rather than you know exporting all different sorts of species birds included because i don't want to transfer uh pathogens uh Coccidiosis, uh, avian chlamydia. You know, uh, there's there's a host of things that can be pa- transferred from from avian uh, prey items to to your snakes. Um, so so that there's that. But um, you know, I notice with with imports. You know, if if I'm just you know without taking my background into uh, into play here, and if I'm just just looking at it sort of like someone who would be getting into the hobby now or somebody who's been in the hobby but they've decided that they'd like to try to, to work with some Corralis species, there's a lot that come in. And for the numbers of animals that are coming in, the numbers of animals that are being produced is uh, significantly lower than I think it should be. And I think a lot of this has to do with with the, the quality of care that the animals uh, are receiving from Mainly from the guys that are that are the initial sellers, whether it's a wholesaler or a dealer who purchased it from a wholesaler, if they're just looking to flip it really quick, um, they they aren't gaining the experience that they need. When you first get these animals in, they they might eat p- perfect for you for the first, you know, and then in the third month, you start seeing the issues come to head, and um, no no uh, wholesaler, and certainly no flipper um seize them for that long they're, they're trying to kick it out the door you know the, the that old mantra sell it before it dies that's that's what wholesalers always used to say back in the day and um that's really frightening to me and so so i would rather have either if i'm getting it from a, from another importer i want to get it as quickly as possible as soon as it comes in i want to know when that shipments arriving i want to get it and then i want to get it established as soon as possible start working on on getting it established um, if I'm buying it from a dealer, right. I, want to, I want to deal with somebody who's going to take the time with me. You know, these, some of these guys, they're, they're good at telling a customer, potential customer, what the customer wants to hear. But um, don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, ask very specific questions. Ask, what have you treated it with? How long have you had it? When, was it, when did it, it first enter your collection? Did you import it or did someone else import it? Ask a lot of questions. What did you treat it with? When was the last time you treated it? How how frequently were you treating it? Um, you know, all, ask all of these questions. Do your homework, so that you know uh, what the answers should be. And some of these guys will, uh, will tell you what you want to hear, but it ain't necessarily the truth. Um, others are very you know very honest and, and uh, reputable, and they stand behind what they're. They're offering, and that's just you know that's just talking about the wild caught stuff. But if you look at if you look at what's bred here in captivity, uh, so many of the people that are producing um, these animals, uh, a lot of them are producing offspring from captive bred and raised animals. You know whether it's whether they they were. Uh, whether they were farmed over, you know, overseas, or you know, like in Suriname or Guyana, and then babies were shipped out, and they're raising those animals up, and then getting offspring from those, but uh, but we're starting to see more and more of the guys who start with wild caught stuff. They they've they've got it from someone that they trust, someone who knows how to acclimate them. Uh, Bill Hughes is a great example. You know, Bill Hughes, I would say. Probably all of the emeralds that he has produced from were wild-caught animals to begin with. Um, he, he got a bunch from me. He's got he's gotten a lot from a lot of different places. And and uh, you know, Bill's a good example because he he understands. He knows what he's looking for. He understands the animal's behavior, and he knows the the warning signs, what to look out for uh, with with them. And uh, you know. Uh, I think you and I talked um quite some quite some time ago uh when you were doing the first the first kind of edition of of uh, Corallus radio and I remember you were kind of astounded when we were talking about you were like so you're saying that you breed wild caught emeralds and I said yeah and you're like seriously you know that that was kind of the 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 flavor yep, I that. of that conversation and um and you know uh I, I, I wasn't even, uh, like, taken aback when you said it because there are so many of them end up being caged in, in a round cage with a plastic liner. If you know what I'm saying? Um, those mm-hmm. wild-caught mm-hmm. animals come in, and they, they find their way uh, to the plot in the kid's backyard with a little popsicle stick across. You know, they they find their way into file 13, and it's it's because they haven't been acclimated. And the sooner you get them acclimated, the sooner they're treated – the 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 better chance you have of having success with those animals, you know. So, right. um, so you know, I I'd, I'd like to see this, this trend continue, where uh, more and more keepers. Keith McPeak is another one um, that's uh, he's really he's really doing it too. And uh, you notice a lot of these guys uh, are, are people who understand. Um, they speak snake. You know they understand ethology. Uh, they they are they are watching animal behavior and they can see when something feels co- uncomfortable or something's not quite right. And they understand the animals, the specific animals themselves. So, you know, with emeralds, uh, uh, patience pays. Um, it's they are they run on a totally different uh, clock than most of the other critters metabolically. I think they're a lot slower. Um, and you really have to sit back and let that snake uh, be what it is. And if you try to push it, if you try to make it into a, a green tree python, it ain't going to turn out nice for you. You know, so um, yeah. you can't, you can't, I say you can't push them. Um, People, people want to They say, well, my green tree eats this frequently, so I'm going to feed my emerald. Well, they're not the same. And, and if you feed a, a green tree an emerald on a green tree schedule, we all, I always say you'll have problems at one end or the other. Either you're going to have right. an impaction, constipation, or you're going to have regurgitation syndrome start. And um, you wouldn't believe how many people have told, oh, don't feed them a prey item that size. Don't feed them that fre- on that frequency. Slow down, draw back. It's not a race. They're like, yeah, but my, you know, I've got I've I've got red tail boas and they can handle this and this is a boa, you know, but it's not the same. They're not
0: red tails. <laughs> they're not red
1: tails. They're not green trees. They're certainly not like an amethystine or something. I mean, they've they're uh they're evolved to do what what they what they do best and uh they're you know uh, sit and wait. They'll hunt as well, but um, but they can go. Uh, uh, Bill and I always kind of quote uh we use this, this quote um, innocent ignore or benign neglect it's like emeralds do really well when you just kind of like leave them alone they're not they're not something right. you get out and play with all the time but um but anyway uh back to your to what you're saying uh your the question that you're asking is is uh when you see these uh these animals come in and they're the, Great numbers of them coming in like they, are, like they have been. And um, the prices will tell you everything. If great numbers of anything come in, and I say great numbers, not like huge numbers, but it's very seasonal, and, and a right. fair number come in. Um, you know, last year uh, we didn't see a lot. Uh, Guyana uh, was closed p- pretty much uh, all of last year. And um, so we didn't see a lot come in, and uh, but you know Guyana is open now, and uh, Suriname uh, is open, and these these animals. Uh, if if it were look at ball pythons, not nearly as many ball pythons come in now as as previously because we're kind of saturated. We got we got a. a so many ball python projects to work on. It, uh, you go to every every reptile show has table after table after table of, of ball pythons. And I'm not saying anything bad about ball pythons. I kept them and bred them for many years, and I like ball pythons. But um, you'll see a, a dip once the, the saturation hits a certain level. You'll see a dip in the numbers of them that are brought in. But with emeralds, which are a long-lived species, uh, you don't see that. With, even with Amazons, you don't see lots of people producing Amazon tree boas, which are very easy to produce, um, and you don't see lots of people producing emeralds, which are not so easy to produce, They're a lot, they go on a lot slower schedule than, than an Amazon does, We don't see a lot of these animals being reproduced year after year after year, um, yet we continue to see animals coming in, and so that tells me you have some attrition there, you ha- you're, you're having some loss. And, and when you're having loss, that tells me that these animals aren't being treated the way they need to be when they're coming in. And, um, and so I think it, it's our responsibility. If we are, as a community, we are interested in, in doing well with these animals, we need to take the time to really focus on what, what makes them tick and what, what gives them better chances uh, uh, at survival. And uh, and that's gonna that's success for you and for the animal, and I think that's what it's all right. about. So I don't, there's no, uh, you know, there's no secrets to my, uh, to my my madness. Uh, I, I want to share with everybody. I want to make it make it work. One thing I don't do is like on whether it's a show like this or or like on Facebook, uh, I don't give out um, uh, dosages for medications. Um, I'll, I'll name uh, name some medications that I use. And things like that, but I don't give out dosages because I think a lot of people want to take uh, things into their own hands. And you know, let's face it, we all didn't go to school to become vets, right? And so uh, it's better, I think, to take an animal into a vet. And and when you get when you buy an animal, absolutely, the the first thing you should you should do is you should ask, what was this animal treated with, and when was it last treated? You know, those are, you know, especially whether it's whether it's wild caught. Or captive bred. Ask, you know, ask about its history. You know, has it had issues? Have you had to treat it with any medications? When was it last treated with a medication? Because some of these meds, for example, uh, metronidazole, a, a flagell, um, this this is a great drug. Um, it, it's used for killing uh, anything that has a flagella in the gut. Okay, and so it's it's a great antibiotic, and it works very well for you know protozoans and amoebas and all this funk that. But the thing is, it doesn't decide who's the good guys and who's the bad guys. When it's going down the intestinal tract, it's punching the lights out of everybody it's, it's running into um, that has a flagella on its way down. And um, and so it's, it's a great drug, but you know you have to think about afterward, what, what is the beneficial bacteria that we've wiped out, and, and we have to replace that. Now, it's a great drug and it does its job very well, but the devil's in the dose, right? And so if you if you right. treat with too much metronidazole, you can have a neurological disaster. Um, it can kill your oh yeah, state.
0: you can kill your uh, animal, yeah,
1: absolutely. absolutely. And if you and if you treat even if you treat with the right dosage, but you do it too frequently, I remember one guy was telling me, well, I heard that that flagell or metronidazole is an appetite stimulant, and I said, well, you know. Uh, it it can kind of settle things in the belly and then after a little while after it's been treated with it, sometimes it does kind of seem to uh, stimulate the appetite, whether or not it's actually stimulating the appetite or it's kind of clearing up an issue down in the GI tract that that needed to be addressed and now the animal feels better and decides to eat. Which one of the two, I can interview them tall and blue in the face and the the snakes never give me a solid answer. But um, what I do know is that if you treat them at too tight of an interval, even if you're using the correct... Uh, amount per treatment. If you're treating it at too tight of an interval and too often with that drug, it's also tumorigenic. So you can have a tumor from it. So, uh, you know, these are things, imagine if, if the, the exporter treated it with, with Flagyl, and then the importer treated it with Flagyl, and then the dealer treated it with Flagyl. And then some dude at the, that uh, bought it at the reptile treat, show treated it with flagell. And then he sells it to you, and you're like, ah, I need to treat it with flagell. And then the animal winds up with a tumor and kills it. So this, these are why we ask those kind of questions. And, you know, if the guy gets, uh, I say, sensitive and says, you know, gets upset about the questions that you're asking, um, he's probably not the right guy to deal with. You know, deal with someone who, if they're yeah, willing to take first, time
0: with you. that's your first red flag.
1: Bingo. Bingo. You know, if if they're willing to take their time with you before the sale, that same guy will probably take the time with you after the sale. If he can't answer questions about an animal that's having problems, he's probably not dealt with it. He's not kept it in his – he's flipping it. He hasn't kept it in his care long enough to really know uh, the issues, uh, you know, that he's going to be running into with that species. So you really want to have someone who – who has they've seen the dark side and they understand you know what your odds are of of pulling it out of that you want to you want to be able to, like when the chips are down and things aren't going well that's when you find out what kind of a, a dealer what kind of a seller breeder who whatever wholesaler whatever you find out what the other person's really like to deal with because the the good guys step up to the plate even when it's painful for them if that makes sense right so yeah, no, you know,
0: totally, and I, and I think that's a good a good point too. Like, you know, there's too many there's too many folks out there that are looking for shortcuts, and yeah, you just you really just aren't going to get the outcome that you are anticipating if you're trying to cut corners. And by shortcuts, I'm talking about everything you just touched on. I'm talking about by not seeing a vet or deciding to dose your your animals yourself, which I. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but I think that comes with a lot of experience. You know, you don't get into keeping reptiles and you get a couple of years under your belt or you get a clutch or a litter under your belt and say, okay, I can now dose all my animals. I mean, it's comes right. from years of working with different species and whatnot. But, yeah, it you does see of that.
1: And it's and, not gained in, you know, overnight. You're, you're, you got it right, man.
0: Right. It's,
1: it takes time to run into problems and then time to learn how to solve the problems or what not to do the next time you run into those problems. You, you're right on the money.
0: And, and I just, I would, you know, I don't have anything against wild caught animals. I, I, think there's a, a lot of benefits to getting wild caught stock, but I do think that you, you, you can't, the shortcuts seem to come back to bite you. You know, your, your animals in your collection get something or, something goes wrong with uh how you're you're establishing that animal and it doesn't ever get established or, or whatever the case is. So, you know, I think the first point that you hit on know your seller, know who you're buying from and and make sure you you take it to a vet um that's qualified. I I think that's those are two points that can't be overstated, really.
1: And a go- a good vet is worth their weight in gold. Everybody's like, "Oh man, the vet's going to char- charge me so much." I'm like, Whoa, slow, slow down. If, if a vet charges you $150 and you just paid $600 for a snake, um, a hundred, 150 bucks is too much. What? Yeah. I'm like, think of how much you have into the caging, the time that you spent researching it, the, the whole shamil. And then when you, you know, it, an animal doesn't have, a, it's not a one-time fee that you pay. I paid this and I'm done. It's an ongoing. It's like, it's like having a kid, you know you you have to feed it you got to take it to the doctor you got you know what i'm saying it's it's an ongoing uh chore and so you have to have that budget when you're thinking about buying the next pet think about that vet bill too add it into your budget because it's an important thing establishing a, a relationship with a qualified vet is uh is one of the best things that you can do you know i i love my vet uh i think of him as a friend rather than i mean uh yeah, he's a great guy you know he's just uh right. rather than just you know some guy that i have to go spend money with like you know he's he's a great guy we've established a real relationship you know and, and i think that's an important step to take make sure that you have someone that you can reach out to and if there's not a vet in your area find find a vet um who's qualified uh that what is it arav or whatever they that you can you can locate one near you and then you can also have you can find vets that will do consultation. So if you've got a vet in your area, but he's not necessarily he or she is not necessarily uh, a reptile vet, you can have someone who is kind of uh, by proxy uh, work through uh, them and, and you know uh, help them along. It's going to help the vet, and it's going to help you. It's going to help the animal. So
0: right, right, you know,
1: yeah, having having a a resource like that is is key for success. But uh, so so anyway so you, as far as the bases you've covered you you've uh, you've selected the seller that you're comfortable with and when you're selecting a seller go on social media and say hey who would you recommend for species X um, who do you think is a good person to, and see what other people say that'll give you a lot of information there are there are some really killer uh, breeders keepers and dealers in this in this hobby in this sector of the hobby and um and they're happy to point you in the right direction. just ask and and, uh, and they'll share it with you. and when you see that you know those names that consistently come up across the board, you know, oh this is somebody I probably should contact and um anyway, so you, now now you've selected the dealer, you have your vet, and you're getting the animal in and uh, so when I first get an animal in, uh, especially with an emerald. I want to I want to let this animal kind of chill out for a day or two. I want to have if you've got more than one animal, you want to make sure that they're caged individually. I like them in smaller cages rather than larger cages. Um, I, I think of it like this: if that snake, if it's in a smaller cage where it only has to to lower its head a little bit to a water dish and get a a drink or if it's got one of those you know uh david brahms produces these these uh deli cup holders that bolt to the side of your cage the snake can literally it'll bolt right to the perch the snake can literally sit on the perch lay its head over in the bowl and take a drink like like a snake in the wild might might lap water out of a a crook in a tree that, that that collected and held that water for a second you know it's um so that's a really a really great thing um, you want a small cage because it keeps that animal in proximity with the water and the animal doesn't seem to feel uncomfortable. When there's a great big expanse of of a cage, um, if you've got a larger cage, you want to make sure it has the, the option to, to thermoregulate in a way that it feels comfortable. But... Um, right. Having a smaller cage just allows you to kind of uh, keep a closer eye on that animal and what it's doing in that cage, and make sure that it is being hydrated. So I I get the animal if it's an aggressive species um, or or an, an aggressive example. So I've got emeralds in that were sweethearts, and you could pick them right up and play with them, hand them to your kindergartner, and not have a problem. And I've got the others in that you know would like to introduce you to the the reason that they're called caninus. You know, they they have some teeth that are memorable. You know, so if you get one that wants to bounce its nose off the off the glass or the plastic, whatever kind of a cage you're you're keeping it in, uh, take some newspaper and tape it around the cage as a visual barrier. So that animal, when somebody walks by, I put it in a low traffic area. In my in my reptile room, I put it in a low traffic area so that if I'm walking past, it's not bouncing its nose off the the glass and further elevating the stress levels. The stress is stress is your number one enemy, and you've got to take care of you've got to address that first. So uh, I, I try to keep it in a small cage um, where it's it's the access to water is is right it's right there it's simple to get to. And um, it doesn't have to go cruising all over the cage to find where the water bowl is. This animal's nervous. It's sitting, it's it'd been pulled out of the, plucked out of the bush in the wild and the trees in the wild. And then it's uh, stuffed in a sack and then shipped, you know, to the other, the other to the northern hemisphere when it was in the southern hemisphere, and it's in a totally different world. It's, it's it's like if I picked you up and put you on an alien planet. Man, you don't want to go venturing off to go find uh, food and water. You want it right there next to you, and you want to just kind of sit still and kind of take take note of what's going on around you, and kind of uh, you know absorb it all in as you as you kind of uh, metabolize. What has just happened to you? A lot of times when they first come in, it's like the lights are on, but no one's home. And I've got an emerald in that eat right off the bat, and I've got an emerald in that take months before they'd have their first meal. And they're, they're just kind of that, I say, lights on, but nobody's home type animals. Right. So, yep. you know, so so give them give them their privacy. Um, set them up. I leave them alone for a couple of days. The first, first, when I get a wild caught... Uh, Animal, and the first thing I hit it with is nystatin. Uh, nystatin is uh, it's, it's a medication that they use on human infants uh, to treat uh, candida. Uh, <laughs> this is a lovely subject. Um, so candida is uh, basically a yeast infection, and um, so when a human baby passes through the birth canal, they can pick that up from the mother, and then it can cause them problems when it comes to nursing. They they wind up with that uh, yeast infection in their mouth and it irritates the inside lining of the mouth. And, and then the baby doesn't want to nurse. Well, that's, you know, that's bad news because, uh, they need that colostrum, that first, that mother's milk. And so it's very important, you know, the hospital, the doctor's always like, uh, we want to see them nursing, you know? And, uh, so, so a lot of times when a baby's born, they'll hit them with nystatin. Um, it's, uh, I've had it. That was like (laughs) strawberry flavored. Um, but anyway, it's, uh, uh, not that I had a yeast infection in my mouth, but I had to taste a little bit and see what it was, uh, what, what is this like? And uh, um, so so I'll hit them with Nystatin. Um, and so being subjected to suboptimal temperatures and humidity uh, swings from uh, the jungles of Guyana or Suriname, which are the two countries that they're predominantly coming in from, uh, and then suddenly uh, shift into generally a temperate zone, um, you know, uh, they're subjected to the, the, the flora that's floating around in the air, and candida's floating around in the air, and, and when your stress levels are up, your immune system is down. And so something simple like candida can, can take a fo- take a, get a foothold. And you might not notice it at first. It's not gonna, it, it doesn't rear its ugly head. But if it winds up with an esophageal uh, candida infection, that is one of the things that can cause regurgitation syndrome and um that the, the regurgitation syndrome is like uh it's the bane of keeping emeralds wild caught emeralds any any emeralds really it's it's the thing we all fear the most uh Sorry. and when i say <clears throat> when I say syndrome it's uh you know there's a lot of different ways that you can break your leg right so uh maybe you're a really bad dancer uh maybe b m x is not your sport uh you can't do the moonwalk, whatever. There's a lot of different ways to break your leg. Well, um, how, how you break your leg is, is the, the causative factor, but the, the fact that you have the broken leg is the syndrome, right? So that's how it is with, with – um, so what caused regurgitation syndrome? There's a host of things, a list of things that could potentially cause regurgitation to start in Emerald. And once it gets started, it can be difficult to get it to stop, so, so we're trying to figure sure, out which one of these yeah, which one of these things on the list have I not checked off? Let's check them off as we go, and we're, we're kind of going down the list. Uh, and so I like to start with nystatin um, because it, it fights candida, and that's one thing uh, that I can check off the list. So I first started with, with Nystatin. that's an oral, orally administered drug, and it's, it's fairly simple to use, and you can talk with a vet about about dosing anyway. Then, uh, then I start treating it with uh, with the other drugs, and um, for me, I do things like I say on a, a, a kind of on a, a a laid back kind of slower approach. And the only time that I that I put uh, two males um, uh, in in a in a more tight uh, schedule is when I'm treating with with panacure and Flagyl. Um and and the reason is because I'm trying to uh to hit the life cycle of the organisms that we're fighting against. So so the next drugs that I'll treat with are panicure and flagel. Um I use a suspension uh flagyl suspension and um and then the the uh panacure uh which is also fenbendizole is another name for for panacure. Um that's the the real name for it. And uh I can mix those two drugs together. There's no there's no, you know, uh negative interaction between the two meds. And so um I I inject that into a small prey item, smaller than normal prey item. Um, A thought, of course, because a a live rat probably wouldn't appreciate that. Um, And that's another thing. Uh, When we're talking like, uh, you know, uh, I would say like sub-adult, even larger juvenile um, emeralds, I like rats uh, rather than mice every time. I, I try to not feed mice at all to my – as soon as I can get them on rats, I keep them on rats. And there's se- several reasons for that. But um, one is that the the density of, of the, the hair, the fur, is different between the two. And actually, rat hair might be a little more coarse, but it's a lot more sparse than it is on a mouse. And uh, that, that extra fur from a mouse just seems to be something that often can get uh, – a snake to regurge in the the wild emeralds will cast a pellet like an owl casts a pellet so um and and sometimes people will mistake an animal casting up a fur uh um albert's pythons do that too um they do yeah so so anyway uh Anyway, you know, they'll sometimes uh, cast a pellet, and sometimes people will re- re- think, "Oh no, my snake's regurgitating," and and it, it might not be. So, you know, examine the contents of what it just spit out, and it's pretty evident when it's when it's a real regurg. You know, because first of all, the smell's horrendous, and it's uh-huh. it's a smell you come to recognize, and you never want to smell it again, especially if they they yep. <laughs> if they let it go under the under the you know uh the the heat panel or something oh. like that um, oh, God. Yeah. yeah yeah horrendous but but um you know so so yeah uh so i hit him i hit him with this uh the panacure and and i hit him once and i wait 2 weeks and i hit him again and so that's the normally i don't want to feed him on that tight of a schedule once once every 2 weeks normally i want to spread it out once every 3 weeks is the feeding interval and so this is why I feed them a much smaller than normal prey item. And when we're talking emeralds, we talk about smaller than normal. Well, uh, the size of a prey item that a green tree can handle is considerably larger than what you should be feeding an import emerald. And so you have to cut it down considerably. And the reason I'm cutting that down um, is is not only because of the way they metabolize things on this slower schedule. You should always feed them smaller prey items. but But for that first, that first couple feedings, I've got it at a tight interval. I've got it at a two-week rather than a three-week, so I'm cutting it down even more. And I want to ensure that that snake is interested in eating the second meal when I feed it two weeks later so that, so that I don't have to manhandle the snake and give it oral medications, you know, by, by tubing it. I would rather it never even know that it was treated. I, put, I, I slip it a Mickey. I, I inject it right into this thawed rodent. <laughs> And and then I, I, I give it to the to the snake and uh and if it takes it, hallelujah, and then I wanna see it do that again two weeks later. And if I if I can get it to do that without ever having to actually um restrain or hold the snake in any way, during this time I don't touch the snake at all. I don't I try not to even look at the snake. The the newspaper taped around it so it can't see me and I can't see it is just fine. But there are things that I wanna look for as far as how the animal's settling in and so you want to see a nice tight coil around the branch i don't like to see a snake that lays on the ground i don't like to see a snake that hangs like a like an overboiled noodle uh on the perch these long kind of say loopy kind of hanging uh i want to see a nice tight coil right around that perch holding on um and uh, and I also love to see a snake that sheds readily after it first comes in. That's usually a good sign. The sooner I get it, the better from, from the importer. The sooner that shipment comes in, um, or if I'm importing it myself, the sooner that, that animal comes in, I, I want to see it go through a shed. And sometimes, I don't know if it's the stress or what, sometimes it seems like just the act of bringing them in Will send them into a shed cycle. It's like, uh oh, what's going, what's happening to me? And then suddenly they go through a shed cycle. You know, snakes shed oftentimes when they've when they've been injured or when they've had mites or any of these things that that um, aren't normal. It will it will often send a snake into a shed cycle. Even when a, a little a, a, they get a mouse bite or something, a rat bite, um, that that bite. It will it will usually send them into a shed cycle they're healing that that spot and so when i see a snake come in and it immediately goes into the the opaque that blue um stage right before they shed i'm like yeah this one i think this one's going to acclimate nicely and i see that nice tight coil these are kind of behavioral characteristics that i want to see these things happen and um uh, I don't mind if they're if they're aggressive or if they're not aggressive. That has nothing to do with a feeding response. Um, you know, a snake that really feeds well is awesome. And but I've had animals that were very aggressive, and that, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're good good feeders. They, they they'll bite a, a rat and fling it, you know, and and that's not what I want to see. So so anyway, um, I I do thawed prey prey items, and uh, a cool trick to get them to eat is to heat up just the head of that prey item if you have, like, a, like a heat pad or, you know, these radiator-style heaters, and you just put the, right, the right. rat's head, like, right against it. <laughs> You'll want to wash that off later. But, um, <laughs> but anyway, yeah, you, you put that rat's head right against it, and it, and it heats the head, head up. And I don't know, I, I count, like, you know, I count, like, 60 seconds or so, so I know the head of it's really warm. And then use long forceps. This is for your safety, <laughs> um, but you use long <laughs> forceps because not only does it keep your fingers out of out of harm's weight, but it also um, it also keeps that snake from confusing the heat signature from your hand with the heat signature of the rat and so uh, you know good you know fifteen eighteen twenty inch long forceps you can get those at a farm and feed store and um and they work great uh what I notice about emeralds too sometimes. They don't want to. Uh, they don't do the the typical chondro. The green tree Morelia viridis strike. You know, they, they, I mean, those things strike like a like a heat seeking missile. They're re- ready to rock. But emeralds, sometimes um, you touch if it's sitting in a nice tight coil and you touch like the tail of the. The snake, and its head comes up off the coils, and if you put the first thing that it sees, it, the first thing that comes it comes in contact with is this head of a warm rat. It sticks its head, tongue out once, twice, and and it's it just you can just see it winding up, and then boom, it takes it and curls up on it. Usually, emeralds, they take it a little slower. Sometimes they don't strike at all. Sometimes they'll put their nose against it. And when they put their nose against it, you'll feel them applying a little bit of pressure. What you don't want to do at that point is pull back. Instead, Offer a little bit of resistance. Not, don't push against the snake, but just resist a little bit. Push, push back just a little bit, and then slowly their their mouth just opens up, and then one side and the other they start ratcheting that that rat down. If you if you let go of it too soon, it'll be on the cage floor. They'll drop it. So you got almost like you have to spoon feed them um, sometimes when they're like that. Sometimes they just bite it and they curl up around it, and and you know it's it, the the dance is over, right? But but other times they do this right. kind of slow. Like they mouth it. Um, They're really quick learners. I've had some that were really great feeders as far as, bam, they'll take it and and curl up on it. But after a while, they're like, oh, this guy only gives me pre-killed prey items. I don't have to go through all the work of, you know, I don't care. If you put it in front of a green tree python, a green tree python is going to It's going to constrict that rodent right now. Whether it's dead, whether you've been feeding dead stuff forever, it's still just going to – it's just like innate, boom. It just curls up and tangles it on a jujitsu sort of hold and swallows it down. But emeralds don't Mm -hmm. always do that. A lot of times after they've uh, settled in and they realize, oh, I'm just getting thawed prey atoms from this guy, well, then, you know, just hold it for them and and see if they'll take it. Sometimes they just mouth it and take it in. But anyway – so there's just some some little. Sometimes a uh, I say a pinch under the belly. Sometimes I'll, I'll if the snake's sitting on a perch and I've got the cage open, I'll reach my hand in and I'll kind of just uh, take my my thumbnail and kind of press it into the tail or un, under the belly, and he'll lift his head up and he's looking for what's annoying me, who's who's pestering me, and and you put that the first thing that you want to have it come into contact with. As soon as it sticks its tongue out, it should be a rat's nose. Um, a little blood on the nose of the rat is not a bad thing. Um, it seems to, to uh, kind of, you know, stoke the engines there. So, uh, so anyway, um,
0: you yeah, know, the a live smell. rat
1: is not a bad thing. If, if they won't take a dead one, you can do a live one. But, um, you know, eventually you'll be able to, to give it the medication. So I, so I hit it twice uh, with, with these two drugs, uh, Panicure and Flagyl, at, at the correct dosages that you can get from your vet. And your vet will probably be happy to help you with that you don't have to do it yourself. But um but anyway, um and and I do that like I say I, I treat it once, I wait 2 weeks and I hit it again. And uh and then beyond that, then I start treating it with I start looking for other problems. If I'm seeing other problems, um you know, uh if you're seeing uh, uh look at the feces. You know, if you're seeing uh, worms in the feces, if the snake is defecating worms, you've got other issues that you need to take care of and if it's if uh if uh panicure isn't taking care of the worms that that's what it's designed to do uh if it's not taking care of the worms then you've got a species that that you need to use something else Proziquantol or or some other uh medication to to treat that and so again this is where you, you take that take a look at the feces pick pick up a, a turd you know, take a, a plastic bag, put your hand into the into the plastic bag, and turn it inside out, and then grab the turd with it, with the plastic, and then turn it right side out with the turd on the inside. You never even have to touch it. Take it into your vet and have a have them do a fecal float on it, um, or a direct smear and and scope it and look at it and see what's there, and then your your vet will be able to walk you through what medications you should be treating it with, and um so so we want to address those things right away, and then we want to think about the other the, the aftermath of having treated it with something um well like flagel now we want to try to reintroduce uh beneficial flora to the gut um, you know i i can't stress it enough when i say you want to make sure that your your snake can digest vegetable matter and when i say that to people they kind of like well, my snake's not a vegetarian, dude. I'm like, yeah, okay, but it just <laughs> ate a rat or a mouse or whatever it just ate, and what did that eat? So whatever's in its, in its uh, gut is uh, it's what's being passed on to your snake, and that's nutrient value that it should be able to, to get advantage from, get, get nutritional advantage from. And so um, the snake's system is not made to digest grains or greens so instead, it has flora, it has bacteria that break those down into small enough uh, components, little molecules, building blocks, that it can then be absorbed by the snake and the snake's getting the full meal deal. Otherwise, you're not, you're not giving it nutritionally what it, what it requires. And so you want to make sure that after you've run all the bad guys out of town, it, so to speak, in the gastrointestinal tract, that you're now replacing those. And this is, this is a long process, you know, um, this is why a lot of these guys that are kind of, I say, flippers, they get something, they want to kick it out the door. Um, they're not able to help when, when the person, the buyer has problems and they call back and they're like, hey, man, I'm, I'm having troubles with this animal. Um, what? And the guy's like, hey, man, you know, I gave you a good deal on it. What are you pestering me about now? You know, that, that's the kind of reply you'll get from someone who doesn't know. Or they'll give you a canned answer. They really don't know. Uh, they'll just say, oh, try, try these drugs on it. And they're like, all right, I got to go you know, that kind of thing. Find the guy that will deal with you and, and someone who's, find someone who's sang the blues before because they know the blues better than anyone else. And they, they know, uh, how to avoid having to sing the blues. You know, I, I, I can tell you, I have put a fair number of snakes in the trash can and it's no fun, but you'll, you should be learning something each time that that happens. You know, it's, uh, I always say we're paying tuition for this hobby, right? And, and the tuition that we're, we're paying to, to learn is, is when you're looking at that snake in the, in the bottom of the, the wastebasket and you're going, why? You, know, you should be learning every, every time from that, and that's paying tuition to be able to do it better with the next animal so that hopefully down the road when we see the numbers of these animals that are coming in, we'll see the numbers of people that are actually having success producing them in in captivity begin to rise and i think that's when you see that that's like a a healthy barometer of of what's going on in in our community and you're you're seeing it already you know um a a great breeder uh ed marino you know everybody knows ed he produces those amazing high white crazy things uh he does basins but you know we were talking one time and he said, Harley, you know, I started out with northerns. I said, yeah, I do. And he says, he goes, that was a long time ago. And I said, you've been, you've really put the, you know, uh, all your eggs in the basket on these, on these basins and you've done so well with it. And he's like, he's like, yeah, he goes, but I'll tell you, man, I did northerns. And I think they're harder than, than basins. And he says, so I got to hand it to you. And he's just a really good guy. He gives credit where credit's due. And I don't, you know i don't necessarily think that, that northern uh, northern shield animals are the guyana shield animals are are more difficult than basins but i think the difference is that as you touched on earlier we're not seeing basins come in uh, like like northern's come in and um, so when you see a lot of these animals come in and when you see when you see a low price on one it's it's so uh it's it's such a snare for somebody. They see it and they're like they see this really low price and they're like, oh, I gotta get it, you know. And uh, sometimes my, my German buddy always says, oh, the cheap becomes expensive, and he's right. He's absolutely right, you know. <laughs> um, uh, you know when you when you're like, oh, you know, I I, I could have bought this one. It, it would have cost me six fifty or seven fifty or eight fifty, whatever, whatever the price. I could have bought that one, but, man, I found this one for, you know, $225 or something like that. And they were so, they're like tripping over themselves to buy the snake. And, uh, you know, then they after they've taken it to the vet and they've done all this stuff, and then they're looking at it in the bottom of the trash can and they're going, geez, when I add up all my costs and my time and my effort and my heartache, I should have just bought the one that was acclimated correctly by someone who was charging more for it. And it takes feeling the sting of that before you're, before that same guy will crack open his wallet and say, you know what, I want one from this dude because because he knows what he's doing. I want a captive bred one from uh, Bill Hughes. I want a captive bred one from Ryan Woolison. I want a captive bred Basin from, from – Marina, whatever, whoever, I want to, you know, captive bred or an acclimated animal from Harlan or from whoever. As long as it's someone who's doing it right and they're taking their time and they're willing to help that customer. And you know, I love to see those kind of people um, in the community. They, they are like a like a beacon to everyone else, and they're willing to share and help you. They want to see you succeed. They want to see other people have the same success that they're having. They don't look at you competitively. They're like yeah, I want to see you do well with this, and that's that's magic, man. That's that's what brings us unifies our our whole community, and it makes it better for the for the animals. And I would love to be able to say, oh, you know, wouldn't it be nice to be able to say, oh, I got genetics from this dude's uh, colony. I've got genetics from that dude's colony. He's got a few lines. I got a couple of those from him. Then you've got some some diversity, and that's that's the beauty of having wild caught stuff come in. Is we've got we don't have stagnating bloodlines. We've got um, right. we, we're adding. New stuff to the pool all the time, um, it, but it's it's not doing anyone any good if it's if it's uh, you know in someone's freezer. It doesn't um, it doesn't help any of us. So I want to see people succeed. Um, so anyway, um, you know, then I follow it. So I followed up with probiotics, and uh, I used uh, I've used yogurt, uh, something as simple as yogurt, a live culture yogurt. I'm using this stuff called BioSalad now. You can it's a it's like a I'm sorry. It's uh it's no. like a yogurt uh drink that that you can get at Walmart. It's uh I don't know if you've ever heard of Yakult. It's another like a little show, shake it up uh um drink they're cheap they're like six of them for a buck at walmart these bio salad type they have strawberry and yeah. original flavor whatever that is but i, I use uh-huh. that and i'll again i'll inject that into the rodent and there's no set injection amount basically what i'm doing is i'm putting the the needle into the uh into the lung's into the the between the ribs and I'm filling the lung cavities up with it. It's certainly, you know, some people are saying, ah, oh, well, you know, I don't know if this really, you know, it's kind of controversial. I don't know if this probiotics really work or not. But I swear by them. I think it really does do something. I thought it was kind of hocus pocus when I first looked into it, but the, but I started experimenting with it and I really think there's there's certainly something something to it. Um, the fluid it can't hurt them at all. It's it's not something they're ever going to OD on. So I hit them with it the, for the next five six feedings at least after I've treated with the last treatment of that panacurin flagella, I'll give them five or six more feedings. And and so again, you can see that I'm going by the number of times that it's feeding uh, beyond, uh, beyond its treatment period. And uh, if, if an animal's only eating once every three weeks, well, well, you can see, you can take a look at your calendar and see that we're talking about an amount of time here. I mean, uh, like when I'm dealing with green trees, the the standard for me is like a, a 90 day quarantine period. And this is another thing when you're bringing your animals in, you you really have to have a quarantine room where it keeps this uh, isolated from the rest of your collection. Don't use a different different pair of tongs for feeding. Use a different snake hook. Use you know don't transfer. Anything that's that's fresh and has come into your collection, you don't want any transference from from that to the animals that you already have established in your collection. It can be a total nightmare if you don't do that. So quarantine, right. quarantine, quarantine. We say it three times for a reason. Um, and it's <laughs> it's all these people like oh they kind of laugh and they go yeah you're making something out of nothing and then you know you've heard all this uh, the nido murmur over in the green tree python world well. Uh, believe me, every species has its Achilles heel, and they have multiple Achilles heels for for an animal with no legs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but 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 yeah, you know. Um, so so keep those animals quarantined away from from you know. Uh, that's the other thing is when you're getting them in, don't. Don't do multiple snakes in when you get fresh animals in. Don't put multiple snakes. Individual animals in individual enclosures. If this one's defecating and he's got a problem, he's not defecating in the water bowl that the other one's drinking out of. The other one might not oh, yeah, have the same that. problem. You know, if 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 you've got if you've got problems in one, you can say, oh, this is so and so's uh, uh, fecal sample. Not, I wonder who that came from. When you're seeing problems on a cave floor, mm-hmm. like I love those those apple pads. They're usually white on one side and brown on the other. But I, I usually put the white side up because you can see anything that's on there. Um, uh, if, if something, uh, if, when, the, when the animal defecates and you're seeing some, some, some funk there, you can see it very easily on that white paper, that white sheet. And if, if there's ectoparasites like mites, uh, you can see them. They show up very well on that white. It's like, aha, there's a problem here. And so, you know, mites are a major vector of disease. Uh, they can, they can right. suck blood on the animal, and then they're sucking blood on the other animal, and who knows what they're passing from here to there. You know, Tony wanted to.
0: That was what I wanted to ask you. is um, mm-hmm. Shouldn't folks be uh, coating their cages with, like, preventamide or some type of mite preventative? You know, um, yes
1: something what you know I don't I'm not a big fan of of preventomite um but I but I use uh something similar um and uh certainly you should be taking it some precautions um and and preventomite uh, you know if that works well for you I I haven't used it in emerald so I can't really speak to preventomite but but I do use uh um I use two two things rid and NYX. they're easy to remember because they're mm-hmm. both three-letter words. Right. <laughs> but um, uh, yep. so I've heard of both. with with, yeah, with NYX, I take it and I mix it with distilled water. You want to make sure that it's distilled water. Um, and I mix it. when you buy NYX, you want the cream rinse. It'll come like two two-ounce bottles in uh, a, a package from Wal Walmart or whatever. It's like fifteen bucks or something. It's not very expensive. Um, and it comes with two of these two-ounce. Uh, bottles the the number one cream rinse and and you want about a fourth of a bottle to thirty two ounces of uh, of distilled water if you use tap water the the chloramines or chlorine in the water often will mix with it the minerals or whatever and then it will change color and it 's not effective anymore so but you want just distilled water and uh, and that works really well um, shake it up, put a little bit of the i put the the what like a quarter of the bottle. Um, Sometimes I might go a third, but usually it's like a quarter of the bottle into the, the spray bottle, and I, and I pour a little bit of distilled water in first, and I shake it up really good. It's, it's really like super thick conditioner or something. You shake, shake it up really good, and then add the rest, fill the rest of the bottle, the 32-ounce spray bottle, up with distilled water. And... Um, and you can spray that on adults or sub-adults. You can spray that directly on the animal. You can spray it. I remove the water bowl, but I spray it directly on the animal, right in the face. Um, I like to, I'd say, reel them in backwards. I, I'll start at the tail, and I'll spray up the scales, you know, um, toward the head, on the, on the belly scutes, uh, you know, the ventral scutes. Um, and then mm-hmm. also, um, you know, this, this gular cleft. Uh, if you look, if you look on the underside of any snake, they have this little, uh, like a little slice. It looks like a separation, um, on their, on their neck, um, that's going to expand when they go to swallow something and you want to make sure that you spray up into that. And then of course, you know, uh, uh, the emeralds are known for having quite a, quite a few of the, the fovea, the, the, the heat pits and you want to spray in there too. Um, and it's, it's very safe stuff. Um, but. When it comes to neonates, I do it differently. You know, if, if an adult, again, we talk about the devils in the dose. If an adult drinks a droplet of, of Nix-laden, you know, mixed water like that, uh, it's not going to hurt it at all. But that's a droplet, right? But if you did that with a neonate, that's like it drank a, like a gallon jug of it. You know, it's size-wise, you're, you're talking apples and oranges, and that's a significant amount. So with, with the neonates, I'll spray the Nix, Uh, onto a a piece of paper towel, and I'll let the little neonate crawl. If it's got mites, I'll I'll let the little neonate kind of crawl over this piece of paper towel, and I wrap it around the snake, and I'm starting at the head, and I kind of squeeze that piece of paper towel, and the the fluid is saturated, so it'll come out onto the snake, and when I relax my hand, it kind of, by capillary action, kind of sucks it right back up, and I move on to the next portion of the snake's body, and I just kind of... All the way down the snake's body, squeezing it on and then relaxing and it, kind of sucks the fluid back in to the paper towel. So there's no standing droplets for the little snake to drink, but you still co- coated it, and it all—it's almost like it makes a protective barrier. It'll kill the mites that are on there, um, but other mites—if other mites decide to, you know, are coming in from some source and they're—they're they're, they're coming into that snake, they're like, boy, I don't—I don't want a piece of that. That—that's, you know, that meat's gone bad," and so they'll—they'll they'll go somewhere yeah. else. So that works really nice. I can spray it on the walls of the cage. I can spray it on the paper. I can let it completely dry. It works great. The RID, I don't spray it. That's the aerosol. The RID, I do not spray it on the plastic of the cage or the glass. It has a, a, a petroleum-based carrier, uh, so does Preventomite, and um, snakes seem to have a bad reaction with that, and then it uh, – Dermally, it, 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 they absorb it through the skin very quickly, and so that's taking that um, permethrin or phenothrin right into the snake's system. That's a toxin. So never, never spray that onto the snake, and don't spray it on the plastic of the cage. Just spray it on the pad, the paper pad. and Let it dry completely, and then place. I do both sides. I let it dry completely, and then I place it in the cage, and that's going to keep, uh, keep mites at bay. It really works great, the duo. There, it really works great. You can take that and then I, I do that every single time I line a cage kind of preventatively with the, with the rid on every single pad I put in it, it well beyond after the animals have acclimated in, in, my, in my general population of, of breeder animals. I do every single time um, with every pad that I put in there. Uh, but as far as the spraying the Nix, the Nix uh, water and Nix solution on, I do that you know, I'll do that, and then I'll wait five days, and then I'll do it again. And what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to ensure that if there's eggs laid somewhere uh, under the scales on this snake, that by the time those the life cycle of that little mite starts to hatch out, I'm already killing them before they even reach adulthood. I'm trying to wipe it out completely. Um, so, so that's a, a great way to take care of those, those vectors. You know, I started to say, Tony Nikolai, um, we had a conversation once, and he told me about, you know what he went through with his with his emerald collection a, a really great guy and and uh a, a real straight shooter and and uh, incredibly successful breeder and uh you know uh he had this viral problem in his in his snakes and he put them down um because he didn't know who had been exposed he would had some of these animals that were you know they were born in captivity and raised up to five years and they, they start showing these symptoms and and they, you know, he, he spent a lot of time and money at the university figuring out what the problem was. And um, so this is another reason. This is like uh, I, I love to, to listen to someone who's been there and done that because you're going to learn all of the headaches and the tribulations, whatever stumbling blocks in, you know, were in front of them in their path, you, you'll know to avoid that. And so mites are something that can transmit a virus from one animal to the next, um and you know so so take care of that and then um again quarantine protocol and i don't care if i don't care if it's a wild-caught animal or a captive bred animal when a come animal is a newcomer to your collection it needs to go in quarantine i say if god sent me a snake yesterday when it arrives today it's in quarantine i don't care who it comes from it, you know it, it's not a reflection, a negative reflection on the person that you received it from. They'll tell you, "Hey, no, this animal's clean." You won't, even if they say you don't need to do it anyway, because sometimes there's oh, yeah. things lurking that we didn't know about. You know, you, you didn't know you had this in your collection, and it's you know, um, you're just trying to to protect not only the animal that you you're getting in, because it, because it could be the stuff that's in your collection that has something. But you want to you want to be able to stop it wherever you're seeing it, and if you're if you're being meticulous about it and quarantining the animals when they come in. And uh, and that's another thing when it comes to uh, sourcing your snake. If your guy is flipping snakes quick, you can almost assure quarantine isn't a word in his vocabulary. He may he may spit it out, but he ain't practicing it because he's, he's getting stuff in and out, in and out, in, so quickly. How could he possibly see if there's a problem? Like I say, some of these animals, you know, they come in, they eat, they're doing really well, but – you know, in three weeks, uh, you know, or maybe by the third month, they start they start showing problems. You'll start seeing uh, little clues that that something's not quite right with this animal. Um, so, you know, if you wind up with uh, with the most the most insidious thing, the regurgitation syndrome uh, in your emerald, it's generally um, it's generally uh, crypto, uh, not cryptospiridium, sorry. Uh, it's generally uh, avian chlamydia, uh, in that, in the animals is, it's not always, but if you've got, if you've, if you checked everything else off the list and you get down to, and you're still having this problem, then you'll probably want to start treating the animal with something like doxycycline. Again, you'll have to talk with your vet. I know some, some breeders that prefer oxytetracycline for treating that. And some, I, I prefer doxycycline, um, you know it's uh it is a long process to to cure an animal of that and it's it's a real headache i mean um it it's the worst so uh, yeah
0: and, and i yeah. can't stress that enough what you were saying about when you're actually in the purchasing phase of getting the animal like i i hate getting stuff i even captive born stuff i a lot of times i want it like right there right out of the egg right after birth I want to work with it from day 1 and and even when you're getting imports in I want them right off the boat you know because right. you don't know the habits of the other keepers or whoever's caring for them you don't know you know what they're you know how clean they they keep the cages and how they sterilize things you don't know any of that
1: and, right you know, you you're know kind that's of a good point put, but the the flip side of it is that when you're talking about someone who's who's fairly new to to emeralds they might do better uh, or any species, even amazon you they probably would do better with an animal that 's got a little bit of a head start from uh, um, someone who's a uh, an honest uh, an actual breeder um, that 's really well started oh, sure. or or, you know, or even for, uh, if they're dealing with a wild-caught animal, they're dealing with someone who says, hey, look, I've had it this long, I've treated it with this, this is the, the feeding, this one feeds better than that one. They shouldn't have a problem telling you. I do it all the time when, when somebody's looking to buy something. I say, hey, man, this thing, you paid for such and such, and it was eating really well. But, you know, the last, we, we say we, were, we had to wait for a, sh- a shipping window for the weather, and the last couple times I feed it, it declined to feed, but this other one's really, really eating Give that tell, Call that customer and tell them, hey, here's what's going on, and that's what you want it, somebody who's not afraid to tell you um, the truth. This animal, I just started noticing a problem with it feeding. Do you want to hold off for a minute? You know, that kind of a thing. Uh, I would rather no, send somebody a, a good animal, um, and I think most sellers would, they don't want the headache of having a problematic animal that's going to only run their, their reputation into the ground. So a good seller is is trying to keep that from happening so they'll it's not a, it doesn't reflect negatively on a seller when they say hey this animal isn't doing well they're being honest with you and if it's not doing what the, what they want to you can either say you know what uh let's have a refund or or you can say tell me about the one that is doing well maybe i'd like to apply my funds to that or whatever the case may be but deal with someone who sure. you know likewise they don't 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 buy into all this when somebody's like, they always will tell you, oh, yeah, everything's captive bred. Oh, yeah, this is captive bred. They're not all captive bred. We're talking about import animals. And a lot of these guys that sell large quantities of stuff over and over again, um, they shouldn't have a problem telling you, well, this one is captive bred and this one is wild caught. Or this one was bred on a farm, imported. I've had it for for X a number of months, and here's what it's doing for me, and this one just came in you know they shouldn't have a problem telling you straight like i don't even like to advertise something if unless i have had it for some time people kind of laugh at me saying i'm i'm on the slow boat right and economically speaking look their their, their formula is probably for making money if that's all you're doing is chasing the dollar it's probably a faster route route to just flip it quick and that's why you see so much of this happening but I think right. if you want to be around for the long haul and you want to be respected and you want to have good animals going out, if you want to do service to the animal and to the customer, and I put it in that order, it, then, then that's what you'll do. You'll take your time with it. You'll, you'll, you'll take the slow boat, and sometimes that means you take the hit. You know, um, yep. look, in the acclimation point. process, you're going to lose some. And um, I would rather it be me that takes that loss, then send it to my customer and have them sing in the blues, right? Just, yeah, just so a better way to nice
0: roll. To about it.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, you you can sell everything until you sell your integrity, and once you've done that, you'll you'll lose your reputation, and then you can't sell anything. And um, right. And you know, some some people yeah, use I, a numbers game. They're like, I'll send ten good ones out, and if five bad ones go out, well, the ten ten good ones will overshadow the five bad. And they're just playing a stupid numbers game. There, eventually, enough people are pissed off that have gotten, uh, you know, anybody can have bad luck, right? I always tell I people, I guarantee, I say, any snake you buy from me, I guarantee it's gonna die. And they're like,
0: oh.
1: I say, well, look, it's alive. <laughs> you know, anything that's alive well, is good. they have that trajectory, <laughs> but.
0: You want to have
1: something that
0: lives a long time. It's like what I tell people. I mean, you know, it takes years and years and years uh, to build a reputation. It only takes seconds or like one bad call to ruin it, you know. Right. You know, one bad It's not worth it. You know? It's,
1: it's, it, right. you know, and if something goes wrong, look, if you're, if you're dealing with something and, it, and something goes wrong, with, if you're dealing with a guy and, and, uh, and you get an animal in and, and it doesn't turn out right and you're having problems with it, as soon as you start to have problems, that's when you call the guy you bought it from. Not, Don't wait six months and say, then it died, and then call a the guy, because he had no chance to help you. And if you're running into hiccups and you call the guy give them the benefit of the doubt give them a chance to to rectify the situation to help you you'll you'll see when chips are down when things aren't going as planned you'll see you'll be able to 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 weigh who it is that you're dealing with and how they handle the situation. If they step up to the plate and they're like, hey, uh, you know, let, let me try to make this right. It might take me a little while, or or let, let's see what we can do. Maybe you know tries to walk you through the, the problems and save you from headache, heartache, and wallet ache. Um, give them an opportunity to try to make it right. And if they don't, then you know that next time you'll probably spend your money somewhere else. Like. You know, when somebody comes to you to buy something, if you poke them in the eye, I guarantee they're not racing back to you with one hand over the eye that just got poked, and they're they're looking at you with the other ones. Please poke my other eye. They're, they're done. You know? Right. I, yep. mm-hmm. I I say another one that kind of gets people there, uh kind of catches them off guard. I say, uh, you know, everybody always says the customer comes first, but that's eh, a load of malarkey. The, the animal comes <laughs> first. And they're like, right. Uh I'm like, look, you didn't call me for my charming personality. You called me because you want the best snake that you can get. And so I'm going to put the snake first. And if I do that, you'll feel like you were the person that I put first. And, um, you know, I... When I say that, like so, sometimes it's it's been somebody says, "Hey man, uh, I'd like you to ship this thing. Um, I I've, I have only get Fridays off. Can you ship it uh, Thursday for Friday?" I'm saying "I'm sorry, no, I ship Monday through the Wednesday." They're like, "Hey, you know the customer is always right. What's the matter with?" Them? I'm like, "Well, well, slow down here." I'm like, "This is for the safety of the animal. This I understand your work schedule. Perhaps we can work something else out where I send it to your friend or to a family member or." You know, I can have it held at FedEx, and you can, maybe you can get your lunch break off and go pick it up, something like this. But, you know, I don't want it shipped to, to you, and there's a hiccup. If I ship it Thursday for Friday, there's a hiccup, and it's delayed. Then it doesn't ship over the weekend, and I just have a feeling that you're probably better taking care of that snake than the dude at FedEx or having it sit on the back of a truck all weekend long you know what i mean it's just yeah just putting the animal first and thinking ahead and so you want somebody who's not so in such a hurry to flip something you can tell man you can you get on the phone with somebody like that and they are like all right what's your credit card number you know they're like right away okay you can paypal me at this address yeah oh i've got a oh yeah here's my paypal address they're like they're focused on one thing and it's just a the the payment is just a sliver of the whole piece of pie the whole the whole pie it's just one little piece you know, you, right. you want somebody who's looking at the whole the whole thing, and they want to see you succeed. That's going to take time. It's going to take. Uh, I saw a post recently where someone said, um, and I won't mention names. Um, perhaps someone out there has has seen this post, but they're like, uh, they they sold this guy a green tree python, and then later he's like, so is it venomous? You know, <laughs> I'm like, somebody didn't take, and the you know the seller's like, what an idiot this guy is, but. He's, he's right, okay? The guy hasn't done any research on it, and that snake has a very slim chance of, of thriving in, in this, this poor guy's care right but the seller has some responsibility in this part too and they too should take the time to, to back up and say let's talk about this animal have you kept green trees before what kind of snakes do you have in your collection you know ha- have you read it? what have you read on green trees you know just talk to them and find out where they're at and see how you can help them and you don't you don't have to say well it's not like an interview process where like well have you read maxwell's book have you read
0: yeah. you know it's
1: it's, it's it, you haven't read Kivett's book well i'm not going to sell it it's not like that just, just help the person out and genuinely take. I, I think I think of the snakes that leave my place. Those are my babies. I put my time and my effort into them. I have a connection with them. I want to see them do well, because if they're doing well, right, the right. customer's going to smile and they'll come back.
0: Right. Yeah, so. and that, that's kind of one thing that I was going to say is like, if you if you really want to know where your where your uh, seller's focus is, you know, ask them some questions and then say, hey, right now I'm just trying to, like, learn and research a little bit. I'm not quite ready to buy yet, but, yeah, you know, tell if them they hang up, up the phone so they're at not, that point, yeah, then that's, that's not it. the guy you want to buy from. If they stay on the you phone with it. you and are still willing to answer your questions, then that's definitely somebody that's worth, you know, investing in.
1: Absolutely. You know, everybody's dealt with the proverbial tire kicker that just wants to, you know, or the the um uh, the habitual haggler um you know look haggling everybody wants to get a good deal but if somebody's given you a good deal and you haven't even you've never purchased from it all and then you're trying to haggle with them like you know that's something you say hey man i bought a few animals from you like a good seller like when i do it somebody who's bought from me every single time after they've purchased from me the first time they can expect a discount every time but when when you come back to if you're giving somebody a good price and it's lower than what you would normally sell it to someone else because they're a return customer and they want to come back and haggle like crazy like I don't know man you know at some point it gets a little um it's just yeah, not I get uh that. yeah but but you're right. You've got to have but somebody usually, that they're not just looking at the sale. They, they want to genuinely help you, whether you're going to make – but be up front with them. Say, hey, I'm not ready to make a purchase right now, but I'm doing some research. Can you help me out? Do you have right, time to talk? Right.
0: And usually those folks aren't going to talk numbers. People that are, you know, calling in, you know, and, and just planning on tire kicking, you know, those are the folks that are going to – they're going to want to, you know, talk numbers with you right off the bat. But the folks that, you know, are genuinely just interested in, you know, research and they're still in that phase, they're probably not going to talk numbers with you. They're going to be wanting to learn about the animal. And that's where you're, you know, you can usually decipher that. Um, you know, sometimes it's a little more difficult. But um, I think, actually, I think that uh, Harlan just dropped off. Um, oh, he's back. We're bringing him on. Hey, are you there? It's, yeah, yeah, no, it's yeah. fine. I was, I was kind of in the middle of talking, so it was okay.
1: Sorry, buddy. I, 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 no. I killed that phone. I, I switched to the next one. I'm a battery killer.
0: No, B, We're kind <laughs> no, of getting Mercenary the, of the show anyway. Cool. Yeah, we're. Well, you know, we're uh, kind of at the
1: go ahead. At the end.
0: Yeah, I'd say we're we're kind of we're kind of at a wrap up point anyway, so. It wasn't awesome. too big of a deal. I think we hit on a lot of stuff, a lot of good information.
1: Yeah, you know, one thing I was going to say on Emerald too is I I like to like once a month get them in the tub and give them a soak where the water's. You know, I don't spray my snakes, but get them in the tub where the water's kind of spraying over the uh, uh, the snake or in, like in a rain chamber, and that helps things keep moving through the system. Like once a month, get them out and do that. Um, mm-hmm. it, it really will help things. But uh,
0: I think that's good for Jeff. anything. You know?
1: Yeah, Jeff, I really appreciate you having me on the show, man. I, um, I think there's a lot of uh, people I would have loved to give a shout out to, and I was just too busy yakking. But um,
0: uh,
1: <laughs> no, yeah, it's man, a pleasure, uh, you know. Yeah. So uh, anytime, brother.
0: Shows or something.
1: Yeah, I'd like that. I'd like that. What other What other critters are you working with right now?
0: Um, so most of what I have are, are the, the hoardies, you know, the Amazon tree boas, but I've got mm-hmm. a group of, uh, pop one carpet pythons or eerie and giant carpets. I've got a pair of, um, baby, uh, Southern scrub pythons. And then mm-hmm. I've got a group of Brazilian rainbows and, um, that's, Oh, and I've got some walnuts. Um, nice. and so, yeah, I'm kind of, you know, there's some species I'd like to dabble with here in the future, but you know, just that's a fun thing about oh, man. these things is there's always something.
1: Yeah. I just, I just got, uh, into, uh, these Dominican red mountain boas and uh, I'm going to be oh, offering beautiful. some babies here. Some, oh man, I got some stellar adults. My, my buddy, Sandro de Pinto, uh, produced some incredible babies and, and, uh, I have kind of, uh, taken over that portion of the, the collection and, uh, and so I've got uh, I've got some really nice babies that were that were just born here recently, and and from he's got impeccable taste. So he, he picked like stellar adults, and uh, so I'll have those available soon. And I've I've got a bunch of Amazons that I'm going to be um, posting up a little at a time here. I just posted a pair today, but I'll awesome. I'll be posting some more. And we're we're we got. Uh, Green tree python eggs cooking in the cooker right now, and I've had some locks out of a nice. uh, quite a few other things. I'm just crossing my fingers and, and hoping that the the snake gods will smile on us, you know. So uh, <laughs> uh, the, that luck is, Lady all. Luck is in the air. So, so it should be fun. Aren't Good stuff.
0: All. Yeah, well, that's, that's great, man. Um, I'm those Jamaicans are a lot of fun. I used to have some uh, some Jamaican and Puerto Rican bills. Mm-hmm. You know, same genus, oh, a little yeah. different, but um, they're they're fun. I kept Cuban for a while snakes.
1: too. Yeah, 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 they're really neat. They're really neat. All those so. West
0: Indian species are so unique.
1: Oh god, yeah, absolutely. I was I was talking with uh, Jeff Murray about those Cruzigaster uh, oh. here just earlier. Uh, was it today or yesterday? Today, I think it was. And uh, I I had my fingers crossed that he was going to produce some, but um, it's just neat to see everybody has. Um, a little something that they're that's kind of their specialty and and um, so anyway yeah it's it's a it's fun. Got I'm working I'm too. working with those yeah yeah I'm working with those uh, uh, those new uh, perch holders from David Brahms too. I I absolutely love those things man. I t- I'm telling you the 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 magnetic ones. I cut my cage to cleaning time like it, it's like a third. It's awesome. Really. Yep. Yeah, yeah, I really uh, love them. Made, you don't have to have any tools to take your perches out. Just the whole thing comes apart. You can clean behind the perch holder, the whole thing, in, in like, seconds. It's awesome. So,
0: yeah, I, I was looking at those. He, he sent me some prototypes of, the, like, the six-quart tubs um, right. you know, when he first started the, the company. He sent me some of those, <laughs> and, you know, I tried them out with some of my Amazon with some of my Condor. I had some Condor babies at the time, and um, they worked out well. But he, as you can see, he's he's kind of evolved the design a little bit into some, you know, to be more efficient.
1: Yeah. You know, it's when we first did the the perch holders, um, he, he was working with those, and he'd send me some. He's like, what do you think of these? And, you know, it's just neat to see how it has. It really has evolved. And the all the products that he's making, it's so innovative. I mean, really, he keeps abreast, and he listens to what other herpers are talking about, what they'd like to see produced. You know, you saw this, this, uh, um this cage that he makes with the containers um mm-hmm. i don't know if you that, that's pretty I cool and then it. i think today he just posted these name tags for your, a name tag for your snake so he had one he had like dark horse his uh, his Manaquari, uh a little name plate that he made he could put on his cage kind of just cool stuff you know but a lot of it's very cool. it's very utilitarian stuff and i just i love to see that in the community so right.
0: anyway. yeah i haven't i haven't seen the, the name tag thing but I'll definitely. I'll now. I want to get on this page and check it out because I know he's got a lot of cool little ideas. But you know, hey, his cages, those cages makes, makes me wish
1: I had a container store here. You know, I'm like, <laughs> I spend yeah. so much money at a container store. It's it's a good thing they don't. So
0: yeah, but, uh, yeah, right. I think they're not
1: here. But, yeah. Uh, well, man, well, cool. I really appreciate you having me on, but brother, and uh, it's always good to touch base with you, and uh, so yeah, it's we'll do it again. A while,
0: so. Yeah, absolutely. I'll bring you on again here, uh, you know, soon this year sometime we'll talk about some something else. There's always something to talk about. So
1: awesome. Awesome.
0: I appreciate your All time. Right, man. You have a good one and, and, uh, good luck with the season.
1: Thank you. You too, man. Keep me posted. So All right, thanks, brother. I'll catch you later. All right. Bye. Bye Jeff.
0: All right, guys. Uh, that was our, our, uh, Our guest, Harlan Wall of Wall to Wall Reptiles, he, um, you know, he and I have known each other for a long time. Uh, Harlan's a good guy, a good friend. Um, You know, I've only bought from Harlan, uh, geez, I think I've only bought one animal from him um, in the past, but Harlan and I have talked so many times. Um, That's a perfect example of a guy who is totally open to talking and, and chatting and, you know, sharing ideas and stuff, whether you're going to buy from them or not. And, uh, you know, this this hobby needs a few more people like that, in my opinion. But, uh, hey, everybody, I I appreciate you guys for listening. Hopefully this was entertaining and informative. Uh, Harlan's a talker, but uh, Harlan's one of those talkers that when he's talking, you know, if you listen, you can learn. And there are a few guys out there like that. So it it was good to bring him on. So hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Um, if you haven't had a chance yet, make sure you head on over to our Facebook page and, and like it. Um, if you, uh, if you want to catch these episodes, I'm in the process of, um, uh, you can get them through blog talk radio, but I'm also in the process of building a website that's going to have them all, uh, archived there. So you can go straight to uh, the Corrales Radio website. It'll be a one-stop shop for everybody. Um, and if you'd like to get more involved, get some exclusive content, you know, um, support the channel, uh, or the podcast, head on over to our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash grouse radio. I start with a dollar. I really appreciate it. But, uh, you guys, uh, thanks for listening and thanks for all the the feedback that I get on a weekly basis from folks behind the scenes. Um, it, it really is taken to heart and uh, you guys are the reason that this uh, show is around. So, Until next time, you guys have been listening to Corrales Radio.